Please find a seat. Good morning and welcome to Cross Timber. And it does indeed sound like there is some joy in the house of the Lord. And I can't help but imagine that part of that has to do with the extra hour of of rest that you had last night. Um, That extra hour of sleep um, always helps. Um, It's also nice to, when you're supposed to wake up, to have some light to kind of help you wake up. Um, This kind of period of darkness makes it really nice to sleep in. But we are glad you're here, that you didn't choose to, to sleep in and to, to join us as we worship today here at Cross Timber, whether you're in person, you're listening online, whether you're visiting or whether you're a regular folk, we're glad you're here. Just let me let you know that um, if you have a prayer request, we would love to pray along with you. Um, there's a little tan card that you'll find either laying around or in the bulletin. You can just list that prayer request on the back and put it in the offering plate when we pass it around in just a few moments. Also, if you want to ask questions, or if you need to update some information, you can always just list that on the card and put it in the offering plate as well. I want to welcome you to Cross Timber. to let you know here in a few moments we're going to be reading from Psalm chapter 30, so if you want to be finding that place. But um, other than that, um, welcome. We're glad you're here, and we hope you enjoy um, the time together as we worship the Lord and lift up His name. Would you stand with us this morning and sing?
Thank you. You may be seated. The Lord speaks to us primarily through the revelation of His Word, and He illuminates the truth of His Word by the power of His Spirit. And as we began to to sing this morning and ask the Lord to uh, restore and to prepare our hearts, I'd like us to look at Psalm chapter 30 together as we read it. Um, It's written by David, the king. Um, My Bible at least says it was a song that was written for the dedication of, of the temple. And verse 1 says this, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought me, brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you His saints, and give thanks to His holy name. For His anger is but for a moment, and His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid my face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry. And to the Lord, I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned from me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praises and not be silent. Oh Lord my God, I will give thanks forever. Praise the Lord for His Word. Gentlemen, will you come? We take our offering this morning. Our glorious Heavenly Father, we thank you because you are not only our creator, but you're our provider and our protector. So much more. We come before you with praise out of thankful hearts for you and your greatness. Pray, Lord, today that even as we worship here, that your spirit would be with us to give us insight from your words. Bless he uh, delivers it to us. And bless him in that, Lord. And we pray that you would bless him and his family and keep them in your care and your encouragement and strength. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, you do care about the people of the world. And we thank you that part of this offering that we're taking today will be uh, scattered all the way around the world to bring uh, your word to those that have never heard it. And Lord, we pray that you would bless the givers also. We love you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Would you stand and sing for them?
brought a Bible along with you, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll start reading there in about verse 16 in just a moment as we continue on looking at the uh, theme of reconciliation and um, the idea of how God widens our, our hearts in His work in us so that we can minister to others and He can actually do His work through us. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, 
You know, I, I'd be amiss to to not mention that on Friday, you know, probably between, depending on what the estimates were, 500 and 700,000 um, fanatical um, Ranger fans gathered around the stadium there in Arlington for a parade and a celebration, and I'm sure it was raucous, I'm sure it was great, and I'm sure that it was filled with folks that were just total, totally excited about the fact that, you know, the Texas Rangers had finally won the World Series. Um, I hope they had a good time. My mind was on other things. I thought about um, Eric Nadell, who has been the voice of the Texas Rangers since 1979, who um, had battled um, anxiety, spent most of the year off the broadcast, was back on the broadcast, and as the end of the game was approaching, I switched from the television over to the radio so I could hear his call, which he said was a bucket list call, and the line that he said that really just rung in my head was, Rangers fans, you're not dreaming. I grew up a Ranger fan. My mom and dad were Ranger fans. I was a Dr. Pepper Junior Ranger for as many years as I could remember. We'd mail in the stuff, we'd get the free tickets, and now that all that stuff's gone, you have to pay for it. And I was visiting with my brother, and I was thinking about, you know, the fact that we're not dreaming. And I thought about that crowd of fans, and I thought, you know, Honestly, if we're very honest about it, many of those that would have been involved in probably a much more excited celebration have already gone before us. And my brother and I reminisced about the fact that, you know, my, my mom would have patiently watched every pitch of every game, no matter how late it was, um, crocheting or sewing while she was watching. And as that moment drew Closer on Wednesday evening, my brother and I talked about on Thursday the, the idea that my dad, who had the incredible knack to nap during any sporting event, but to awaken quickly at the most excitable time of the moment, would have, at the last call, when they said the Rangers win the World Series, my dad would have miraculously awakened from his nap, would have just kind of got his um, wits about him, and would have began to celebrate as well. And so I, um, I say that just to say that there are times in life that are exciting, and um, that was indeed one of them. But as we think about our lives in Christ, we think about the heritage of our, our faith, that not only are those here on earth that are waiting and anticipating and exciting, but as you read about in Hebrews, there's that great cloud of witnesses. And I don't know if they get a newspaper or the internet in heaven and they know World Series scores. I don't think that really matters. But I do know that while we are here waiting in anticipation, there is a host in heaven that is cheering us on along the way, that is looking forward to see us finish the race and can't wait for that great reunion in heaven when Jesus returns, makes all things new. And in that, we have that reminder that there's still work for us to do here on earth. And so with that, we turn to this idea of widening our hearts, offering the message of reconciliation to as many people as possible. And I was wondering, and I wrote down here, have you ever broken something special, valuable? Have you ever had that? And you're like, oh, man. It kind of hurts on the inside. It's quite discouraging. And all of a sudden you your head is just flooded with those regrets. 
oh, I can't believe I did this. If I'd only done this, it had never happened. Or, oh my gosh, what can I do? And inside of us, we wish we could just take a moment back in time and recreate things where it wouldn't happen. Or we could maybe somehow fix something or mend something that's broken. We've all had those instances. But take that same thought and apply it to life. That there's people around us filled with hurt. And they're dealing with sin and the devastating effects of it. That that brokenness in the world that in life leads to this separation or alienation from God. It leads to deep hurt and, and guilt. And that what they need above all is hope. That there's something different. Not a, not a dream or a wish, but something that's real and intangible. A hope that we can only find in Jesus that brings new life. That makes it possible, that thing that seems impossible, that they feel alienated and separated from God and they don't ever see a way back. That they could all in a moment by putting their trust in Jesus, become a friend of God. An adopted son or daughter no longer alienated. Through the ministry of what we'll look at today called the ministry of reconciliation. That through the work of what Jesus did on the cross, God changes the relationship between Himself and humanity. He exchanges the broken relationship that men and women have into a new and restored fellowship. He creates in us a, a new heart that's reconciled to Him. And that new heart should have in it a desire or a passion to share the good news. Very simply put, change can happen. You don't have to stay the same. And so along those lines, I want us to think about this. As new creations in Christ, God invites His people to join Him in the ministry of reconciliation. So we're going to look at this key principle at the very center of what it means to offer hope to hurting people. That because of the, the wideness and the beauty of God's love that we, undeserving sinners, can receive that love, then we can share that love in partnering with Him to offer the good news to others. And so we'll see it primarily in three things. The grounds for reconciliation, what God has done for you and I. The, we'll take a peek at what a reconciled heart looks like, and then we'll see what a reconciled heart does. I want us to read these verses. We'll start there in chapter 5. We'll read verses 16 through the end of the chapter, and then we'll read the first Two verses of chapter 6. We'll look at the remainder of, of chapter 6 on the 19th, and next week we'll um, just follow up with some, some practical guidelines about offering reconciliation. But let's begin reading verse number 16, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Lord, we thank you for the truth that we can look at together this morning. And we know that there's no way to understand your word apart from your spirit. It's not from knowledge, it's not from human ability, but it's by the light that you shine on your word by your spirit. So Lord, we thank you this morning that if we're called by your name, we have that gift of your spirit in us. So we don't have to invite your spirit's presence into a room, but we welcome the work of your spirit in our hearts. And so, Lord, as you tell us that in the process of filling ourselves with your spirit, that we should sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you that it tells us that your word should dwell in us richly. And so, Lord, ask we ask of you this morning to take this living word that we share together in this morning and make it come alive to us in our hearts by your spirit for your name's sake. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to, to look at, first of all, the grounds for reconciliation. Then we'll look at a reconciled heart, and then we'll see the actions of a heart that has been reconciled. So first of all, the grounds for reconciliation. And in this, we have a problem that needs to be solved. We have a solution to the problem that God provided, and then we have the resolution to the problem. What's the end result? So there's something that has to take place. God has a particular way to deal with it. And then we have the end result, because it's God's action, which is good, because all that he does is good. So what's the problem? It's not God's problem. You'll learn that um, as you go along in life. It's, it's never really God's problem. It's always our problem. And the problem is man's separation or alienation. The word sin. The world we live in today is troubled by that. It started in the very beginning in Genesis. Adam and Eve sinned. And then all of a sudden death, guilt, condemnation entered into the world because that perfect fellowship was broken. Creation itself was broken as well. And we still live under the effects of the curse of sin. It affects the world. It affects relationships. It affects our lives on a daily basis. And because of this sin, men and women are what we say are separated from God. Enemies, if you follow some of the passages in Scripture. 
separated from God. Subsequent results from that are that people struggle to live in peace with one another. We have fractured families and relationships. Countries have endless disputes. There's no peace. They can't get along. Communities argue and fight over issues, and marriages feel the weight and the strain. And even churches that are called by the name of Jesus face quarreling and bickering and even division over issues. And so you look around, and it doesn't take a lot of detailed work to understand that the world we live in is broken and it is desperately in need of healing. So that's the problem. What did God do? God provided the gift of redemption. That through God's plan of redemption, we can have a reconciled relationship with God. So let's first just define reconciliation. We'll talk about redemption in a second. In a general sense, it just means to to change something. So a change in relationship. Or it would be like walking into some place and saying, hey, can I get four quarters for this dollar? I need it for the vending machine, but you better take two dollars. Maybe three dollars if you're going to go to a vending machine these days. Maybe it's, here I got five dollars. Can I get five dollars in quarters because I want to buy Coke? Um, But it's the idea. Um, Scott knows. Scott lives in that world, so he understands that prices go up. But it's the idea of exchanging. If you take it into the realm of relationships, it's two people that are in opposition making amends and becoming friends. The transfer from enemy to friend. The Moody Bible commentary gives, I think, a good definition. It says it's the activity of God that exchanges a broken relationship with humanity with a restored relationship through the work of Christ on the cross. So in looking at this picture, God is the offended party. Human beings, that's you and that's me, we're the offenders. And the problem between us, the offense, is sin. So the question that those bring up is, how does God redeem men and women? How does he reconcile them to himself? It's key to understand that it's not through a process, but it's through a person. That it's through Jesus that God reconciled men to himself. You see it there in verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. So God's done nothing wrong. Men and women have made the error, but God, out of his grace and mercy, has provided the means for men to be and women to be back in a right relationship with God. How did that happen? Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead so that you and I could be redeemed. That word redeemed means to to buy back, to make a payment for. And so Jesus died on the cross so that everyone who believes in him can have peace with God. So he died for you and he died for me. And when he did that, he took the penalty for our sin. And because Jesus took the penalty for our sin... When we put our trust in Him, there's this great exchange that happens, we'll look at it more in a second, where He takes our sin, we get His righteousness, and that redemption leads to reconciliation. So when God looks at us and we have faith in Christ, He sees Jesus in His righteousness, not our own righteousness, which the Bible says is what, like filthy rags. And Colossians 1 tells us, and through Him, Jesus, to reconcile 
to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So redemption leads to reconciliation or the restoration of a broken relationship. Romans 5 verse 10 in the Phillips translation says, While we were his enemies, God reconciled us. Christ reconciled us to God by dying for us. So Jesus died for you, and when you put your faith in him, God doesn't count your sins against you. But it gets even better. I talked about that exchange just a moment ago. Jesus takes all our sin upon himself, and he gives us his righteousness. Verse 21 is he, for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of Jesus did the work. We benefit from the work by our faith. Jesus, God initiates this process. We gladly receive it. He offers salvation freely to everyone, but men and women must respond. We saw that a couple of weeks ago in the fact that salvation is made to all people, but it's only those who respond to Jesus in faith that receive it. So every person must choose. But the experience of reconciliation is possible through Jesus. Why? Because at the very heart of God, He doesn't want you and I to remain in our sin, to live hopeless, broken, separated lives from Him. No, He sent Jesus who died so that we could live a radically different kind of life, a life free from the power and the pull of sin, to be filled with hope, to be messengers of hope, to be mended from brokenness and drawn progressively nearer to Him, given a new spirit in our lives and a new heart. What does that heart look like? It's a reconciled heart. I don't know what your characteristic in life is, but I'm a peacemaker. Oh my gosh. I, I don't like I don't like to be at odds with anybody. I am incredibly uncomfortable in situations where Others are at odds with one another. And so this rings true in my heart, <clears throat> reconciled heart, where things are made right. And here's the truth. The moment you put your faith in Jesus, everything changes. Newness comes. You get a new relationship. We, we mentioned it just a, a moment ago that you're no longer an enemy. You're not an enmity with God, but you're a friend of God. You're no longer alienated, but you're adopted. So there's a new relationship. It's living. It's life-giving. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. And that new relationship also comes with the fact that we're a new creation. We love 2 Corinthians 5.17. We, we probably, you've probably read it often. You may have memorized. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. Why? Because the old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. It speaks of transformation. The Phillips translation says that they're a new person all together. Why? Because the things of the past are gone. The old ways of thinking are being replaced progressively by new ways of thinking. That you died with Christ, so you're no longer living for yourself. You're living for the sake of Christ and for others, and you're free to live a different kind of life. 
Don't you love that phrase, behold, the new has come? We get so excited when the newest model of something comes out. You know, I think we're on like iPhone 20 now. I don't know, maybe 25, who knows. They keep coming out with an iPhone every six months. And those people that are iPhone nuts and, and geeks, oh, the new one's out. So I need to go upgrade with the phone that I just bought because I need this phone because, you know, instead of two cameras, it has four cameras. And, you know, and so it's just, it's ridiculous when new things come out. But behold, the new has come. When you think of that on a personal level, to look at your life and think, okay, I'm different now. I'm not the same. Now, you might have the same name. You probably still have the same address. You probably still have the same body. But something on the inside of you is radically different because it's the resurrection power of Jesus at work in you. So you have this new life which leads to a new perspective, a new way of looking at things. Listen to verse 16, how Paul looked at things in the past, but now he looks at things in Christ. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. So we don't look at people anymore from an earthly perspective, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. Think of this, written from Paul's perspective, his background. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a persecutor of Christians. And to him, Jesus was probably just to him what those Pharisees called the troubler of, you know, he just caused trouble. He was a, he was a rioter. He was making things uneasy. He wasn't the Messiah in their eyes. He was just a, a troublemaker, a rebel. But the key phrase is there, we regard him thus no longer. Paul, writing on behalf of his co-workers that were alongside him, say, I once looked at Jesus this way, but now I don't regard him this way. I see that he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is Lord of all. And so having that new perspective not only changes our attitude toward Christ, he is now Master, Lord, and King, but it also helps us as we look toward other people. You begin to not see people as problems or projects, but you begin to see them as, as people who have a soul that God has a purpose for. You don't see them as annoyances. You see them as opportunities. And this new creation that we become should lead us to a new way of living where we have this new love for Jesus and a new love in us for the love for others. It changes our values and our priorities, which set our purpose and our mission. You may have thought this this morning, but how many times do you sit around and just wonder, what does God want me to do? You know, and, and maybe there are some specifics of that, that calling that have to do with, you know, moving to a different place or maybe doing a different thing. But on a very general level, from what the Bible says, things that are universally true, He wants us to be a part of His kingdom work without exception. If you're called by the name of Jesus, He wants you to be a part of His kingdom work. To use what he's given you, the time that he has provided for you to minister to others. To, to share his love with others, both with our hands and with our feet, but also with our words. To be a part of spreading the message of hope around. To offer comfort when needed. To bring forgiveness when there's a need for that. And really just to pass along the blessings that God has provided to you to others. And one of those things is this idea of reconciliation. You see, this reconciled heart 
has a heart for reconciliation. I was thinking about this and I jotted down some things. I thought, you know, I didn't deserve it. I sure didn't expect it. But somehow I met Jesus and now I have peace with God. And the attitude that results from that with the excitement is, I should, I should be saying, I just can't wait to tell everyone the good news. When I think about this story, I go back to Jesus and the Samaritan woman. God put Jesus at the right spot. The woman is there at the well at the right spot so that she can find out about living water. And what does she go back to the Samaritans and say? Come and see a man you know, who told me everything about you. Could he be the Christ? And I wonder sometimes why that that fire doesn't burn more in me and in, in you, that we want everyone to experience what we have experienced. Because once we've been reconciled to God, we have a ministry. And the ministry is there in verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So the free gift of salvation comes with a gift of purpose. Now, why is it a gift? Because it's entrusted to us. It's given to us. It's something that if we practice it, will be beneficial. It will be a blessing. So if you're reconciled to God, then you have been called into the ministry. And, and you may think, well, wait a minute. I'm not a minister. I'm not signed up for this ministry thing. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a youth minister. Wrong. If, if Jesus saved you, you're a, a minister. We're ministers. That's why Paul gave instructions that pastors and teachers are to equip the saints for what? The work of ministry. And the specific ministry he's mentioning here is this ministry of reconciliation. God could have chosen angels. To declare this message. God could have just broadcasted it with a booming voice from heaven. But he chose men and women, ordinary people, those jars of clay that Paul wrote about, who in them hold a great treasure, whose lives have been transformed to share this wonderful message of reconciliation. That the change in their life, that old to new, is the evidence that points to the truth. Their testimony is the powerful and undeniable record of that. This is who I was before Jesus. I didn't deserve it. I didn't expect it. This is what He did. And now this is who I am now that I know Jesus. Don't you want that too? It's such a powerful message, but yet it's such a simple message. He not only says it's the ministry, but we've been given the message of reconciliation. You see the phrase there in verse 19. But yeah, we know it's broken. The relationship between you and God. 
but it can be different. It can be restored. It can be made new. That when you come to Jesus, put your trust in Him and His work on the cross, you can have a new kind of life. Verses 20 and 21 point to that. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sins' sake. He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Come to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Know that He takes our sin and our brokenness. He gives us His righteousness that we were dead but in Christ we are raised to new life and we were slaves, but we can now be free from the bondage of sin, that we can be transformed from the old into a new creation. And as Colossians tells us, our lives will eternally be hidden with Christ in God. I just can't imagine a more needed message in our day. I've tried in research on the internet to uh, to get to the bottom, and maybe some of you have, but you know you may have seen these commercials for the the He Gets Us campaign. Really, it, from what I understand, it's it's a marketing company trying to raise awareness and to get people to ask questions about Jesus. Um, I do question some of the things they say because I don't know they're exactly true, but overall, you know, their hope because you see them during the World Series, you see them, you know, on the radio, you hear them on the radio, you see them during certain things. Um, but the idea is to try to get people to understand that there's a Savior out there and His name is it's Jesus. That people that are hurt, the people that are angry, people that have lived with, with bitterness in their, their life, that they don't have to remain that way. That hurts and wounds that, that women and children and men experience can begin to be healed. That those longings for, for purpose can be satisfied. That hopelessness and emptiness that seems to be all around us can be replaced with hope and fullness. And the people around us, even those that would say that you know they're either agnostic or they're atheist, they all have to agree that the things around us are broken and they're messed up. And they need to know it doesn't have to stay that way. That there's healing and mending for hurts and wounds. That love can replace anger and bitterness. See Paul's testimony. He was a persecutor of Christians and he became a follower of Christ and became a lover of the brothers and sisters. And as Romans tells us that the hopelessness that we have can be replaced with abounding in hope. A super abundance of hope. And so that wonderful message of hope exists and because that message exists, God invites us to join in His work. Verse 6 of chapter, verse 1 of chapter 6 has that phrase, working together with Him. Meaning that God, because He is God, has chosen to allow us as His people to be a part of his work. It's kind of humbling and it's amazing to think, you know, it's even overwhelming to realize that God wants to use us, isn't it? Me? What? Me? I don't 
talk very good. I don't, not very, very smart. I don't know a whole lot, but God, you want to do your work through me. That he invites you and says, come on, let's be a part of this wonderful work that God wants to do. Verse 20 tells us what that work is like. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. And we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Basic civics or government, we find out that an ambassador is somebody who represents their home nation in a foreign land. And in that place, they become the face of their nation. They're the voice for their nation, but all the while, they're under the authority of the government of their home nation. So they take the message from their home country and deliver it to other countries. And when there are challenges or diplomatic needs, they try to make things right. They're the go-between, the back-and-forth person to try to declare the message of their country and to make peace with the other country. So what does it mean for you and I to be Christ's ambassadors? Well, it means that God has chosen us to make the appeal to men and women on His behalf. That we operate under His authority. It's His message we share. And we have the opportunity to, through our actions, affect people's opinion about who God is. And we speak, if we have opportunity, that message of reconciliation. You could say it like this. God doesn't want you to remain in in sin. He doesn't want brokenness and hopelessness and separation to mark who you are. No, there is this message that is a message of hope, of life, that Jesus died so you could live a life different from what you live, to be free from sin and filled with hope to be mended and drawn near to God, to be reconciled to God. So we are His ambassadors in the places that He sends us. What do you think about the places that you go with in a week? The opportunities that you have to be a representative for the King of Kings, to operate as citizens of heaven in temporary residency status in Burleson or Joshua or Alvarado, somewhere in Johnson County or Fort Worth. So we're ambassadors. We have a privilege, but we also should be motivated by urgency. Verse 2 of chapter 6, he says, in a favorable time, I listen to you, and in a time of salvation, I help you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. He's quoting Prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 49, verse 8. And he answers the question that we might ask, what's the best time for us to start a ministry of reconciliation? We're not going to close this service and have a business meeting and elect a ministry of reconciliation committee to study whether we need to have one to see how we're supposed to do it. No, you know when he says the time to start is right now. And actually, it was yesterday. There's an urgency that today is the favorable time to start. Why? Because now is the day of salvation. 
the day Isaiah looked toward is here now because the Savior that he looked forward to is here and present. And so the day of salvation is here, but here's the truth. It's not going to last forever. So the urgency comes in the fact that we have no guarantee or promise of tomorrow. We have no assurance that we will have another opportunity or another encounter with somebody. And so the urgency is we don't know how much time we have. We don't know how much time other people have. But we do know that a day is coming. So imagine when you get up in the morning. I don't know if you're a brush-your-teeth, get-dressed person, or if you're a get-dressed, brush-your-teeth person, but likely those two things happen before you leave the bedroom, and especially before you leave your house. So that's part of your morning routine. Maybe you're one of those folks that wakes up with a thought in your mind, this is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. But if you considered adding to your morning routine, today is the day of salvation. It's a favorable time for me to share God's love. It could be the last time I have an opportunity. It could be that today God has a divine appointment set for me and for someone else. And just say, Lord, very simply, I trust in your grace and in your mercy to help me be your ambassador today. But along with that urgency of time, the clock is ticking. There's also a calling to not... Waste the grace in your life. We're urged not to take grace for granted. Look at verse 6, the second part. We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. The Corinthians, he's writing to Christians, had experienced God's saving grace. Paul's concern was that they continue all the churches he wrote to. Peter picks up this too, is that these Christians not just experience grace for salvation, but they continue to operate and grow in grace. We get excited because we've received the benefits of salvation, but the idea is to continue to live in the light of that grace where we're no longer living for ourselves, but we're living for others. Commentator Robert Hughes says this, about this neglecting of grace. It's to deflect God's grace from its intended goals. In this case, it's the ongoing control of the love of Christ. So God never intended His grace just to save us. He intended it for be the atmosphere that we live our lives in, that we operate in. So in that, there's a clear call to action for us, that we've been saved by grace, called to live by grace, and we have a responsibility to share that good news of grace. Another commentator has a much more interesting name. His name is Nuffel Staten. Regardless of the situation you are in life, you are to be people helpers for God. And God will help us to do it. People helpers. Living our lives for a purpose other than just ourselves. And that's what a reconciled heart is. It has this heart for reconciliation. Paul, this wonderful minister of the gospel, transformed from the hate and the gall of his past to the grace and hope 
that he had in Christ, sat down one day and he wrote a letter to a friend. He's wealthy. Just happened to own a slave. And this slave owner was dealing with a problem. This slave ran away. Big deal back in those days. And he wrote in this letter and he pleaded the case of the slave. He had just happened to run into him in Rome and he said, hey, you know, this guy that was useless to you, now he's useful. Please do this on my behalf. Forgive him and receive him as more than a slave, as a brother. Receive him as you would me, Paul wrote. I'll repay what is owed to you. And then Paul took another step. He said, you know what? Why don't you just go back? Could you imagine the first thought? Why would I go back? I'm free. He doesn't know where I'm at. Why would I go back? The runaway was a man named Onesimus. The slave was a man named slave owner was a man named Philemon. What was Paul doing? His ministry of reconciliation. Through Jesus, Paul was reconciled to God. And now Paul's ministry was to see as many people reconciled to God as possible. You see, as new creations in Christ, God invites His people to join Him in this ministry of reconciliation. I don't know when this phrase initiated. I've heard it a lot lately. But you hear people say, it's hurting people that hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. And it means that behind the actions, there's often deep hurt inside. It doesn't give justification for their actions, but it says this could be contributing factors. People that speak harsh words, people that are cruel in their actions, people that involved in inappropriate behavior, all stem from hurt they feel inside. But I'd like to take that phrase, modify it, and think about it in a little different way. In fact, I, I got up this morning and I was thinking about this, and I'm it could just be that that extra hour of sleep that the Lord provided just helped, you know, he, he used that. Um, whatever it was, um, I just thought of this idea. You know, hurting people hurt people. That's kind of down and that's a bummer. But how about healed people help hurting people? Or healing people help hurting people? They share from their experience. This is who I was. This is what God did. This is where I am in life, but I... I just want to tell you about the goodness of God, the redemption that He offers, the reconciliation. To me, this is good news. It is so exciting. Whether you're at the end of your healing journey or you're right in the middle of it or you're just beginning, you can offer hope to hurting people because healed people help hurting people. I want to give you three things that, that kind of hopefully will help in this as you're, you're thinking of yourself as a, as a person in the healing process and how you can offer this hope of reconciliation to others. The first thing is to rest in reconciliation. We have peace with God. That if you're reconciled to God, you have peace with God. You're no longer a slave, but you're a son. So rest in reconciliation. That should bring peace Enjoy to your heart in the morning when you get up, when you're frustrated. So that's kind of the, the base layer, the foundational layer. The second thing is rejoice in reconciliation. 
there's freedom in, in Christ. There's joy in the Holy Spirit. And as we rejoice in reconciliation, we give gratitude and thanks to God for what He has done to us. That we offer up praise, grateful prayers of thanks to Him for what He's done. And then the last step is reveal the message of reconciliation. To tell out the good news. To tell people about it. If you wake up that way, if you start just becoming very excited about the great salvation that God's provided, if you spend time praising God for what He's done in your life, then I think that will instill in us a, a greater desire to go out and, and share that message of reconciliation. It's not perfect people. It's redeemed people that God uses. It's not those that are have it all figured out, but it's those that are figuring it out along the way with God's help. And I, I ran across, as, as I do, I say run across, it's, I run across on the internet because, you know, it's not like I have this vast library of hymnals that I sit around and flip around in, so don't get me wrong. But a Scottish Scotsman named John Bell wrote this song. He was born in 1949, so it's fairly recent in its origin. I want you to listen to these words and see if maybe this doesn't resonate with your heart. Were I the perfect child of God whose faith was deep and love was broad, not doubtful, guilty, worn, or flawed, I'd gladly follow Jesus. But I'm the child of what I've been. Estranged by much I've done and seen. Afraid to show the love I mean. Unfit to follow Jesus. Yet God, who knows me first and last, who's seen my best, my worst, my past, has shown His love intense and vast by meeting me in Jesus. For Christ, though killed at Calvary, by sin like mine and folk like me, has risen forgiven, and set me free. Made fit to follow Jesus. Then sprinkle water on my brow as in the place I make my vow to own and love my Savior now and give myself to Jesus. God, grant me what I still require that I in others might inspire the hidden hope, the deep desire to love and follow Jesus. Will you join me? Lord, we are honest before you this morning, acknowledging that we are far from perfect, but we are redeemed if we're called by your name. We are in the process, the journey of experiencing your healing work in our lives.
Lord, we often feel unqualified. We often feel fearful. And even at times, we just don't really feel at all. We become so full of self that we take our eyes off the people that are around us. So, Lord, as your new creation, just help us to see our responsibility to carry out this ministry of reconciliation by sharing the message of reconciliation. That the broken can be mended. That sin is not the end. That there is salvation in the one who is our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Lord, help us to see that through your intense and vast love. It's through trusting you. It's through your death and resurrection that we have life. And as the hymn writer wrote, Lord, help us through our words and our deeds and others that it might inspire the deep desire to love and follow Lord, widen our hearts. Open our mouths and use us as your people. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to take a few moments to listen to the Lord along these lines. And maybe maybe you're just in that place of needing to just reflect on what God has done for you. If you're salvation experience to respond to him in gratitude and thanks as you listen to the piano as it plays and just asking God to use you in the time that we have and that time is short to be his messengers of this wonderful truth this gift of reconciliation the piano is going to play quietly it's a wonderful opportunity for us to, to just listen to God it's so easy in the busyness of life, to just quickly move on. But I encourage you to just listen to the Lord. Hear His voice. If there's a burden you have or just totally something else that God's been dealing with you by Spirit about, you can certainly come to the altar and pray. You can ask someone to pray for you. Maybe this is the day that God says, hey, to plant roots here and be a part of our fellowship. Or maybe for the first time you thought God loves me. He wants me to be His very own and I want to put my trust in Him. Today is the day of salvation. Let's listen to the Lord as we hear the piano play.
Amen. I want to thank you for joining us for worship this morning. I do want to highlight a couple of things before Deborah comes and gives us an update on the ladies um, connect and embrace grace. First of all, you may have noticed in the um, bulletin that um, the vote for the proposed 2024 budget is approaching. That will be on November 19th in a called business meeting. In con- Along with that, tomorrow, um, um, your proposed copy of the budget should be in the mail, so you should receive it um, sometime next week. There will be two question and answer sessions. One is on um, next Sunday morning at 9 o'clock before Sunday school, and then there will be an additional one on November 15th, which is a Wednesday before the, the Bible study, an opportunity for you to ask questions um, of the, the finance committee that's worked on that. And, and then we'll um, have a, a budget vote on November the 19th. So just be praying about that. And um, just if you have questions, just address those on those times that are listed there above. Also, you might have seen in the hallway that we have shoeboxes here. It's shoebox time again. It's the opportunity that you have to pack a box, to fill it with wonderful things, and be a part of the ministry of Samaritan's Purse as they um, share the love of Jesus around the world. So we have boxes that you can use. You can also buy the plastic boxes if you want to, but you have these that are free. There's also information about how to pack a shoebox, and then in the bulletin you probably, um, hopefully you saw one of these. It's a bookmark, but it also has some things to pray for as um, Operation Christmas Child um, ramps up this year. And just also remember that if you do want to prepare a box, have those back here at the church by November the 19th, and we'll uh, move those on accordingly so they can make their way to um, children um, that will enjoy them and hopefully um, not only experience the, the joy of a gift, but we'll hear the message of the good news. And then, Deborah, why don't you come and give us an update on the, the ladies' team? So this Thursday at 6.30 is our Ladies Connect. We'll be meeting here in Miss Brenda's Sunday School Room. And um, we have a lady coming. You remember earlier this year we collected um, lots of suitcases to give away to the um, children that are in foster care system so that they don't have to carry their stuff around in a bag and they feel like they're important and they have something nice to put their stuff in. The lady that's a part of that ministry is going to be coming, so please try to be here so we have a good crowd of people who will be here for Thursday night. Um, also Thursday night, um, we're going to be making um, writing in thank you notes um, for the people that work and, and volunteer at Next Step. And I just want to just say this to you. I want you to think of Next Step as really a part of our church because they are. They're the hands and feet. And we give a support to them every month. And we, we help them to do what they do. And they are serving the body of Christ. And so a lot of churches, we are, we're in a, col- a collaborative effort to try to minister to the needs of young women and young men. And they are doing an incredible job. But they are on the front lines. And they are often under spiritual attack. They, in fact, if anything, if you ever say anything to them that you need to pray, it goes to them with prayer. We get discouraged. They get discouraged whenever they serve these people. They bring them in, and they try to persuade them, and then they turn and go have an abortion anyway. And sometimes it's just heart-wrenching. And, and you know, it doesn't matter how many good things happen. Sometimes when one bad thing happens, how, how discouraging it gets. 
And so I want, we're going we're gonna to write thank you notes to them. I have, there's 20 names, and we're going to write a thank you note. So I want you to be, pray for them. Pray for the women at Next Step. Go by and ask them for a tour if you've never had one. Just tell them, I'm, I go to Cross Timber. Deborah told me to come by and ask for a tour. They will be thrilled. And you'll get to see things and you'll marvel and just rejoice at what they're doing there. Um, so we're going to be doing that. It's going to be really important. So please try to be here for that. Um, and then, of course, Saturday is the shower. I'm so excited. And um, so it's between 2 and, I mean, yeah, it starts at 2 o'clock. It's probably going to be two to four. We'll probably will be cleaning up by four, um, but it's come and go. So I want you to. F- I would love for you to come and meet the girls. There's four of them, and come by and just meet them. And your your gifts are already going to be here. You know you've got gifts out here, so don't worry about bringing a gift. Come. There'll be some refreshments for you, and come and just give them a hug and tell them that you're praying for them and just bless them in the name of the Lord and. Um, you'll just get to come and be a, be a part of that. If you can make it, if not, it's okay. But um, we welcome you. Everyone's been welcome, and if everyone's welcome to come. And, you know, if we have some people that can help them load up their cars afterwards, that would be great. <laughs> and um, then also following the service right after, Lois is right over here. Here's Lois. She's heading up the shower um, hospitality part. Like, she's taking care of the food and helping me with all that. So I'm going to be busy with other stuff that day. So um, if you have volunteered and you've talked to her, you volunteered to make food or whatever, come see her right after the service. She wants to talk to you and just tie up all the loose ends and so she can see faces and put names on stuff. And I've got a, a form I'm dropping off at HEB requesting fruit trays and vegetable trays for the next week. So anyway, that's all that. So anyway, thank you so much. Thank you, Samara. I want to thank y'all for being here. Why don't y'all stand up together? We need to we need to sing um, as we depart today. It's a wonderful day. It's a wonderful time to to gather together, but we can also celebrate the fact that we are we are going out into the world. So let's sing together, and after the song concludes, you're um, you're dismissed. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight.